our music this morning for Liz leading everything else. As I, I said last Sunday, it's, it's a great gift. You know, when someone like uh, Jerry, our senior pastor, is away, we have wonderful lay leadership in this church. So I want to thank, thank all of you who participate, even our, our lay leaders who are serving communion this morning. So thanks to each of you and all of you. As Liz prayed, Jerry took uh, two weeks. He's working on his doctorate of ministry for the next couple of years. And so he's completed now this two weeks. And he'll be back in the office on Tuesday, back up here on Sunday of next week. Because it is a, a July 4th holiday weekend, we don't have our normal kids' classes this morning. So kids, you may be disappointed, but you're in here with us. So hang out with mom and dad. You get to listen to me today. We're going to learn something together from Galatians. But we're in here uh, together. So thanks, kids, for being here um, all right, well, today we continue on in Galatians. The last couple of weeks, really the last three weeks, we've talked a lot about law and grace, which is what uh, Paul talks about in Galatians. We're going to be doing that again. And today we're in Galatians 3 and then the beginning of chapter 4 as well. So let's read today's passage. It's Galatians 3.19 through 4.7. This is God's word. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring would come to whom the promise had been made. And it was ordained through angels by a mediator. Now a mediator involves more than one party, but God is one. Is the law then opposed to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could make alive, then righteousness would indeed come through the law. But the scripture has imprisoned all things under the power of sin so that what was promised through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. My point is this, heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves, though they are owners of all the property. But they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the Father. So with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. Let us pray. Lord, this morning, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and honoring to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, there was a few of us this week in the ZPC office on Wednesday talking about this passage and then some others over the last few weeks we were talking that Paul in his teaching here in Galatians sometimes, he can get pretty complicated, pretty theological and he does 
this morning as well. So to help us out, we've, I've created a little outline, and I hope it follows along with Scripture. It's on the inside cover of your bulletin. It's also going to be up on the screens. And so we hope that helps uh, give us some guidance and kind of break down uh, what Paul has here in Galatians 3 and 4. So he starts out by saying, why then the law? So what is the purpose of the law in 3.19? The purpose of the law is to point out sin, not salvation. That's in this first part. And the law is like a tutor or guardian, like a tutor or a guardian. So we talked last week that we can't be saved by the law. And if we can't be saved by the law, why was the law given anyway? Well, in the Old Testament, the Israelites who were new in the promised land needed guidelines to live by to separate themselves from the people around them. So God gave them laws. He gave them the Ten Commandments through Moses plus the other laws. And so that helped them to understand what to do and how to live because if there is no law, there is chaos. If there is no law, there is chaos. And then Paul says for both people then and for us today, the law points to transgressions or sin. So if there is no law, we don't know what sin is. So again, if there's no law, there is chaos. And if there is no law, we don't know what sin is. I think I've told you before, I'm not real handy, not really great at, at making things, but I can follow instructions pretty well. So I remember over the years, uh, as my kids are older now, but putting together their cribs, that was one thing you have to follow a lot. Of, a lot of pieces come in those when you're putting together the baby crib and you got to get it done, you know, before the baby comes. But if you leave a piece out, that's not good, you know, because the crib could fail, and that would be bad if the baby's in the crib when the crib fails. I think uh, the law is sort of like an instruction manual. It helps us to give us something to follow. But if we don't follow it perfectly, we will fail. And it is true that we cannot follow all the law all the time. We are told that we are sinners, and we know that in our hearts, and so we will fail in the law, and it cannot save us by itself. The law points out our sin, but can't save us. One scholar says that the law is like a doctor. I thought this was a great point. One, the law is like a doctor who's an expert at diagnosing illness, but can't cure the disease. The law is like a doctor diagnosing the illness, but can't cure the disease. The law shows us our need and it leads us to Christ, then where we can be justified by faith. So to see why we focus on grace and not law, we see the purpose of the law is to point us to grace and to point us to Christ. Um, let's look at what our church believes and maybe what our church, kind of the larger church, has believed for a long time. So we don't talk a lot about this at ZPC, but ZPC is Presbyterian. The P stands for Presbyterian. We are a Presbyterian church, and Presbyterians are Reformed. We're based on Scripture and on the creeds and on the teachings that came through the Reformation. So what is something that is unique about the Reformation? About the Reformation? One thing that is unique are the five solas, and the word sola is a Latin word meaning alone. These are the five solas of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, Solus Christus and Soli Deo Gloria. Now, I don't speak Latin, but I do speak those five. And each of these are important in doing some study this week. They're important to us, and I think they help define and help kind of help us see what Paul is getting to here in this passage. It is Scripture alone, faith alone, 
grace alone, Christ alone, and to God's glory, to God's glory alone. So each sola means alone or only, and it represents a key belief in our Christian faith held by the Protestant reformers. So basically, those five things mean this. We believe in Scripture alone over church tradition. We believe in faith alone over works. We believe in grace alone over merit or the law. And this all comes through Christ alone, not by our good works so that no one can boast, as Paul says elsewhere, by Christ alone so that we can give glory to God alone and not take the glory for ourselves. So our faith in Christ alone, through his grace alone, makes us children of God because he adopts us as children. So Paul says that we are children of God. We are children of God. We are kids who need guardians or tutors. We're in need of guardians and tutors, and we are baptized and belong. This is in 327 and 329 here in our passage today. We need tutors to teach us how to get the right get to the right place. Earlier in the passage, back in, uh, in chapter 3 there, it says, the law is a disciplinarian. And uh, author Tim Keller says, he likes the word tutor here better, which I thought makes sense. Because I don't know about you, but my kids have needed tutors from time to time, uh, especially in math and science. I don't know, the Shelton family needs some help in math and science, okay? Now, the tutor can't take the math test for you, okay? But the tutor can show the student where your errors are, what kind of corrections you need to make. And in the same way, the law is like a tutor. It can't lead us to salvation, but the law can show us where our mistakes are. It can show us where we need correction. It can show us where we make mistakes, and it can point us in the right direction that we need Jesus. Well, Liz prayed earlier, and we've talked about uh, Independence Day, that uh, yesterday was the 4th of July, and we celebrate our freedom and independence. And independence is really something that Americans are all about. You know, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're an independent people, which, which I think can be a great thing. And yet, in our faith, we need to be dependent. We need to be dependent on who God is and on his grace. In order to do that, we need to realize our need. So if we sense we're independent, we don't have a need for God, we don't have um, a need for his grace, then we won't feel it as much. We won't desire it as much. But when we realize through the law, when we realize we fall short, when we realize we're, we sin, we need God's grace. We realize we are sinners in need of a Savior who rescues us even from ourselves. And then when we admit that and we receive God's grace, we feel freedom, the freedom in Christ, joyful for the gift of grace that God gives us through his son. And then as children of God, because we are his children of God, we receive that. We are baptized and belong. We can ask the question, who am I? And we can answer, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Galatians 3.29, Paul says, we belong to Christ. And in 3.27, right before that, he says, as baptized believers, we are clothed with Christ. We are clothed with Christ. Now, last Sunday, we had the privilege of having a baptism up here at the 10.30 hour, at this hour, of a small baby. 
And this little girl uh, wore a white gown, a very long white gown that was longer than she was. And it was from her great-grandfather. It's been passed down for many generations. She's the fourth child in our family. So she was the fourth one of even her, her own family had worn this as well, as well as her mother and, and her, her grandmother and I think, believe her great-grandfather. New Christians in early days, in the early time of Christ, even here in the early church, wore white gowns to symbolize new life in Christ that they were receiving. When they were baptized, they were receiving new life in Christ. And then Paul says, we are clothed with Christ through our baptism. I thought it was helpful when I looked at uh, some of what Tim Keller had written this week about Galatians 3 and 4. He said, we are clothed with Christ. And here's four things he said identify clothed with Christ. Number one, our identity is in Christ because we put him on. Number two, we are close to Christ. Number three, we imitate Christ. We imitate Christ. And number four, we are acceptable to God. Let's dive into these just a little bit more. Our identity is in Christ when we are clothed with Christ because we put him on like clothing each day. So we we identify with Christ. Our, Our clothing say something about us. So when we're clothed with Christ, that should say something about us. We are close to Christ. We are intimate with him. As our clothes are close to our skin, they helped identify us in Christ. We imitate Christ as we wear him on ourselves. We begin to look like him. And so as we wear Christ, we want to look like him. We want to be like him, act like him as as he lives in us and works through us. And then finally, we are acceptable to God. God sees us, this may be the most important, God sees us through his grace so that God does not, God the Father does not see our sin but sees our identity in Christ and accepts us as his children. So those four things are true um, when we are clothed with Christ. So by being baptized in the faith, we belong to God and then we are clothed with Christ because God accepts us in grace alone through our faith alone. Through Christ alone, we are his heirs adopted by God. So we are God's heirs. It says in 3.29 and 4.7, we are God's heirs adopted by God. It says in 4.5, and we are not slaves, not Jew, not Gentile, neither male nor female, but we all are one in Christ. Paul talks here a little bit about being uh, adopted and uh, I don't have anyone close to me, at least not in my immediate family, probably my extended family, that has been adopted or has adopted children. So I have a little bit of a hard time relating to adoption, but I can relate to grace and what grace is. So I was looking for stories this week of maybe what it might feel like to receive an incredible gift of grace. And here's one that we found, and Nancy helped me find this this week. It was on NBC News. It was about a guy named Dan Price. And I discovered Dan Price is the CEO of the credit card processing company called Gravity Payments. And he became recently, uh, at least relatively famous, for cutting his own salary from over a million dollars a year down to $70,000 a year so that all of his employees could be raised up to a minimum of a $70,000 a year salary. He became very popular with his employees because of that. Well, he became well-known out on the West Coast. He's from the West Coast. And he met with and made a promise to some sixth graders 
at Woodbury Elementary School in Irvine, California. Now, these sixth graders, these 33 sixth graders at Woodbury Elementary, each wrote Mr. Price a letter as part of a classroom project. And for the students, their teacher felt it was a good, uh, a good opportunity to write business letters to a real business leader who had done some good and who was in the news. Mr. Price said that he read every single letter, all 33 letters that the kids wrote, and he was very impressed by their writing. So he made a surprise visit to their school at Woodbury Elementary in Irvine. He visited the classrooms. He answered questions about business and about um, his generosity. They asked him about that to his employees. And so he answered all their questions. And then finally, he had an announcement, and he said this, I appreciated your letters. If you write one more letter per year every year until you graduate from high school, just one letter a year to me, I'm going to set aside $1,000 in a college scholarship for every single one of you. And the sixth graders were thrilled and applauded Dan Price for his generosity and the receiving of their grace. So these sixth graders in Irvine, California have a taste of grace. It's something undeserved from someone they, they didn't really know, they knew him from the news, who gave them a great, who gave them, each of them, a great gift. Through God's grace, we receive so much more, you know, than money for college. We, were, we are part of God's family, undeserved but adopted by him, given the gift of life and salvation if we just accept his grace and receive it. And then we accept his grace and receive it, we can live the Christian life, that we, we don't just end it with ourselves, but we share it with others. Here's what John Stott says about that, writer John Stott. He says, the Christian life is the life of sons and daughters, as we are adopted by God. The life of sons and daughters, not the life of slaves. It is freedom, not bondage. We belong to Christ, to one another, and we love to serve those to whom we belong. But this kind of service is freedom. So we receive grace because we believe, not because we earn it. And we receive life because of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to God's glory alone. Because we are maturing in faith, Paul says, we can now share that grace with others. We've even received the Holy Spirit who can speak in us and through us so we can share that grace with others and because of that, we are united in Christ and with other believers. I don't know what all of you did yesterday, but I had a great day on the 4th of July. I got to go to some friend's house with my family, and uh, my kids swam, and we ate hamburgers, cooked on the grill, and had a great time. And then we went somewhere and watched fireworks last night. We had a, had a, great, had a great night. And I'm very patriotic, and I love my country. And yet, I must remember, even on the day after the 4th of July, as much as I, I love my country, that our call to Christ is higher even than our call as citizens, that we are citizens in the kingdom of God and that God has called us to himself to live with him and that our relationships with other Christians makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And I was really taught this lesson a lot as I went on a trip with my family and about 20 others this spring break. We went last spring break last year and again, this spring break, we went down to Reynosa, Mexico, and we worked with faith ministry, worked in a week, uh, helping to build a house, a concrete block house, and you're going to see the picture here in a minute, 
And the house now is finished, but uh, we get to build up the walls and the door and put in the, the door frames and all that. And we get to build a house as a gift of grace. And actually, you're giving to the mission commission to the budget of the church help to build that house. But during that week, this March, we worked with a very joyful na- man named Mario Garcia. And Mario had received a house through Faith Ministry, a gift of grace from another church, from another work team, earlier this year. And in a sense, he's paying it forward by volunteering hours through his sweat equity by working on other people's houses. So we got to see Mario every day that week. And uh, here's our team. I want to point out who Mario is. I'm going to come over on this side, but it's the same on on my left. And Mario's the one in the white shirt down in the bottom left-hand corner of the picture. He has kind of an open collar. And his daughter in kind of a pink shirt and his sons are in front of him behind him in the black shirt. So there's three kids. And that's Mario. And up on the top right in the open window, the tallest guy in our group was Pete. And that's Pete up here. I'm going to tell you about Pete in just a minute. So they experienced God's grace together. Now we worked with Mario each day. And one day Mario asked Pete to see his house. And I used Pete's words. He sent this to me in an email this week about their experience. Mario said, hey, Pete, my home is right, right here, real near where we're working. Come with me to drop my daughter off there. She was the one in the picture. On the way there, we are chatting, and he says, so, Pete, you know, the next time you're down here in Mexico, you have a place to stay. Mi casa es tu casa. To which I responded, this is Pete, you already know, Mario, when you come to visit the U.S., my place is yours. And he said, pues claro, somos hermanos. And both Pete is uh, fluent in Spanish, as of course is Mario. So he said, pues claro, somos hermanos. Of course, we're brothers. Pete said, well, I laughed, and I said, ha ha, it's true, we're brothers now. The truth is, I've always wanted a brother. Who better than you? This is when Mario said, Pete, you've always had, and we've always been brothers. Hermanos por parte de Cristo, brothers through Christ. He then showed me his home, beaming with joy over his home and his family. So Pete and Mario couldn't be much different. Pete is tall. He's about 6'5". He's a big guy. Mario, like a lot of men there in Reynosa, is shorter, maybe 5'6", 5'7". Pete is single. He's about 23. He's a graduate of Notre Dame. He's working in the corporate world in Chicago. Mario is probably late 40s, married with three kids, working and living in Reynosa. Mario Mario is relatively poor and Mexican. And Pete is relatively wealthy and American. But Mario knew that day and shared it with Pete that they have something in common, more important than all those differences, that truly, through Christ alone, they are brothers, that they share that bond together. We go back to the scripture for just a minute Scholars tell us that a Jewish man in Paul's time, in Bible times, would have prayed this prayer in the morning. Lord, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Because back then you were superior if you were a Jew, if you were free, not a slave, and if you were a man. But with grace alone, through Christ alone, Paul tells us and God tells us that everything changes. Here's how Paul says it in Galatians 3:28. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. There is no longer slave nor free. There is no longer male nor female, for all of you are one 
in Christ Jesus. So what if we were to say here today, here in this place, in this sanctuary, here at ZPC, there is no longer Mexican nor American, male nor female, tall or short, rich or poor, Zionsville or Reynosa, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, and if you don't know his grace, you need to. And so throughout this study of Galatians, we're learning about his grace, that it is through his grace alone, given through Christ alone, believing uh, in our faith alone, in our faith alone, we believe in Christ, that we receive his grace and that we have life. We can't do anything good enough or be good enough people. We can't follow all the right rules, all the right instructions to live a life good enough for God. But through grace, we can have Jesus. And then having that grace with him and through him, we can share it with others. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we give you thanks for this day, on this holy day, this Sunday, that we get to share with you. We thank you for the freedom that we have in this country, the freedom to, uh, to worship, um, the freedom to know you, to talk about you, to read your word. And God, today through that word, we read that when we believe in you, we receive your grace. And God, then you call us to share that grace with others. God, help us even this afternoon, this day, and this week to know your grace and to share it with others. God, we humbly ask your blessing also on this meal that is before us, this Lord's Supper. God, you show yourself to us through this meal, through this communion that we share as a community. God, we pray that it would nourish us spiritually and physically, that we would go and to be your people. We thank you for it. We ask your blessing upon it. And we give you thanks for everything you have given to us and taught us through your word today. We pray all these things. In Christ's name, amen.